Father, we uh, just stand in awe of who you are. Lord, you are bigger than we can ever imagine, and you're better than we could ever imagine. Father, the way that you deal with us as a father is, is so gentle, and yet you do not hide from us the realities of life. In fact, you would even orchestrate them to draw us into relationship with your glory and into being a tool for your glory, which is the greatest joy that we could ever have. Lord, you are truly out for, for your glory and for our good. And the more that we are aligned with that, the, the more our life takes on meaning, the more we are able to be what we are created to be, to honor you. Lord, I do lift up the Catalanos. I lift up to you, Mike. Lord, I just uh, pray that you would give them your grace to, to go through this trial of the loss of employment. Lord, it's, it's something to be grieved and, um, uh, and it's something to be handed over to you and, and to be worked through. And we pray, Lord God, that you would bring um, the opportunity to work, the opportunity to, to provide and, and to be provided for. Um, Lord, I, we lift up to you also um, those in southern Indiana that have been hit hard by these storms. Lord, we just would pray that you would allow those that are involved to sense your presence. And we pray, Lord, that you would show up in some really special ways uh, to remind them that you're there and that you are in this and that you are available. And um, Lord, I pray that these would these events would bring eternal things to people's minds. Lord, I pray that if there'd be a way that we as a body would be able to minister there, that you would bring that to our attention and, and uh, that we could be your tools of grace and, and love. Father, I just pray that you would bless our time in your word this morning and, and uh, have your glory in us, Lord. Uh, make yourself bigger uh, than we tend to see you magnify yourself and uh, we pray these things in Jesus name amen <clears throat> we've all had the situation of houses being built nearby to us not all of you, us I guess some of you guys have the the luxury of living where you can't see another house for a ways and um, uh, but we've seen situations of houses being built in neighborhoods maybe you you watched your home being built at some point. And obviously the first thing that's done is, is the ground is dug out and the foundation is laid and poured and, or built and, and there's usually a time of waiting for that foundation to set and to be ready. And can you imagine if you maybe were looking out your window at a house being built and um, after the the expected time that foundation was ready and the crews showed up again. They started putting boards together and you see that the foundation is at one part of the lot and the house is being built over on another part of the lot. 
And from the quizzical looks I see on your face, that would be like, what? what's going on here? You know, are they going to move it at some point over there? What's, what's the point here? And the fact is, is that many times we approach our relationship with God through Christ in this way. We treat the gospel, we treat our coming to Christ as our savior like some separate part of our life. And we start building our life on other things. And sometimes we've been taught that. Sometimes we've been taught or maybe just the way that we've understood teaching is that, okay, I take care of my eternal issues. I take care of ultimate things by believing in Christ, by trusting Christ in my Savior, and then I start building my life somewhere else. But the fact is, and, and the point of Colossians, and as we move into this, and as we are looking at what does it look like to live on our new foundation, is that the foundation of our relationship with God is the person and work of Christ, and who we are in Christ. And we are to build our life on that. And just as a foundation is going to have certain jigs and, and jogs in it for purpose because the, the building itself is going to follow those jogs and those angles of the foundation. And it wouldn't make any sense for a person to show up to build the, the house with different plans than what the foundation was. Right, you know, it could be, uh, well, why does the foundation head over here and make this little box here? It looks like there's supposed to be a fireplace or something there. And the guy's like, I don't have a fireplace on my design. I'm just building what's on here, right? Our life is to follow the pattern of the foundation. And that is why throughout scripture, especially in the New Testament, it's laying out the truth of our relationship with God according to the gospel and then so often it's building the how should you live off of that truth. And even in the Old Testament, it's building up to this is what the foundation looks like. This is what the gospel is. God graciously took thousands of years to explain what a relationship with, Christ, with God through the person and work of Christ looks like. And so we come to this and we're in this section of Colossians which really is living on our new foundation of who we are in Christ. So often we miss the fact of who we are in Christ. What it means to have the righteousness of Christ on our part. What it means for God the Father to look at us and see the righteousness of Christ. What it means to have a new foundation. And we see part of this new foundation, the way it's described in this, this turning section of the book that we've been looking at, <clears throat> where Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, if, if this is your foundation, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. You might as well be saying, build your house according to this plan. And the foundation is this, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So then what, does, what is the house going to look like? What does it look like to live 
on this new foundation of being hidden with Christ in God, having died with Christ and being hidden with Christ in God. And this is the passage, the verses that we looked at last week. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now the central idea from these looking at this new foundation that we looked at last week is this. We are called to live our new, we are called to live on our new foundation. We're not called to build our house on something else. We're called to receive the person and work of Christ and then we're called to build our lives off of this fact. We're called to live out of who we are in Christ. Um, now we looked at why is it that Paul deals, lists off these different groups of people and basically he's saying everybody on the earth, it doesn't matter who you are, what matters is Christ. What matters is Christ. And we talked a little bit about how the Colossian believers were kind of, they had this tendency to elevate certain teachers because of their background, because of their, their ethnicity. And, and he's saying, no, what matters is Christ. And maybe some of you that have been on international mission trips, you've experienced this, where you go to another culture and you realize it's the same Christ. You know, and, and you'll hear people come back and say that. Man, I just thought this, this was kind of an America thing. You know, if we have to, we kind of have to admit that, that we, we see this in other cultures where the love for Christ, the presence of Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the work that God is doing there, and, and it's kind of this same thing that's being communicated that you're like, man, it doesn't matter if you're African or American. It doesn't matter if you're Mexican or American. It's Christ. And that's part of what people are impacted by when they go on international mission trips, and that's part of what Paul is communicating here. But notice he's saying, in our gatherings, together, here in the body of Christ, what matters is Christ. Christ is all, and he is in all. And it isn't saying he's in everybody in the earth and things. It's saying, hey, if you're one of these Scythians, you know, which is like the barbarian of the barbarians at that time, what matters is if, if Christ is in you, that's what matters. Is that he's everything and that he's in you, that's what matters. Our relationship with Christ is what matters. Who we are in Christ is what matters. That foundation of the person and work of Christ is what matters here. So we looked at the fact that what we need to do, he's saying, pull the plug on the flesh. It's dead. It's, there's no life in it. We don't need to listen to it anymore. We don't need to obey it. That's what he's saying. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly 
in you. Living on our new foundation, according to these verses, means to treat our fleshly longings as if they have no power over us. Fleshly desires are really natural longings that are not necessarily bad. They may just be prioritized too high. Um, It's not bad to long for food, for comfort. It's not bad to long for sexual intimacy. It's not bad to long for rest. But we shouldn't have to, we shouldn't be obeying them no matter the cost. These are healthy, God-given longings that we are tempted to make our God, to worship the created thing rather than the creator. Okay, um, yeah, I, I don't need to go into it. We don't need to preach that sermon again. So, um, so he looked at this stronghold of the flesh, which is really, Paul is just giving us an example of a stronghold of the flesh and he's giving us in this passage where it is based in. He's giving us that understanding. And so he used the idea that, that covetousness is based in idolatry and out of covetousness will develop evil desires to serve ourselves with, which is covetousness is saying, I need that to serve me. And it'd be like, I need something that's outside of God's plan to serve me. I need something outside of God's plan from this person. I'm not going to love this person. I'm going to lustfully desire this person to serve me. I don't care. Impurity would be, I don't care what boundaries God has put around this desire. I'm going to step outside of this, the boundaries. I'm going to lustfully desire this person to meet my needs because life is about meeting my needs and this is idolatry. And then just in this example, the last step is taking it into outside of the marriage bed. But part of what I wanted you guys to see in this as we talked about repenting from, putting to death therefore what is earthly in you, repenting from temptations of the flesh, is really any, any point in here the Lord can lay on our hearts, this is outside of living on your new foundation. This is outside of living life worship to me. Lay yourself on my altar. Repent of this. Now, okay, like I said, we don't want to preach this sermon again. So so some of the Colossians and maybe some of us might be feeling like, okay, well, I'm I'm not so bad off here. I, I don't struggle so much with lust or with immorality you know, something like that. And we might think, oh, I'm off the hook. Um, we've all dealt with maybe doing some really grimy work, you know, maybe doing some plumbing work or, um, or uh, just you got some work clothes that you've used them again and again and again and you just get to the point where it's like, after this time, after this project, these clothes are out of here. You know, these clothes are going, they're, they're going to go in the burn pile, right? I can remember, um, I had a friend who was a plumber. And um, at one point, I don't know how this happened, but he, ta- he shared with me that he was trying to get a drain clogged. And he was looking at the pipe, and it, at some point it just went poof, right in his face. 
and he had a mustache. He said he could not get that mustache clean to where it didn't smell like that pipe. And he finally had to shave his mustache off. Right? And, and so sometimes things just get so stained and soiled, it's like, this has got to go. Right? Maybe it's working on the car. Maybe it's working on the plumbing. Something like that. Paul is focusing on how do you handle the stained laundry? How do you handle the stained laundry? He's really targeting us control freaks. Okay? And I, and I, I want you to see that this morning. But the second idea here coming from this passage is taking care of the stained laundry. Taking care of the stained laundry. And he's targeting here a stronghold that he focuses on here in this area of what you do is the stronghold of control. Where he says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul describes for us here um, this one, now again, this is one stronghold that illustrates how do we deal with sin, okay? If, if it's like, okay, well, I don't have a problem with sexual immorality or I don't have a problem with, with um, slander and, and obscene talk, I'm clear. These are just examples of how we deal with. And, and this example that he gives, it, it really kind of builds from the bottom up. So we're going to focus on these terms here for a second. He says, but now you must put them all away. He starts with anger. Did you know anger could really be divided up into three categories? It could be divided up into frustration, and usually that deals with the present. It could be hurt. And usually that deals with the past. And it can be fear. And usually that deals with the future. Frustration, hurt, and fear are all subgroups of anger. God expects things to hurt us, to frustrate us. God expects things to cause us fear. We're not expected to not get angry. But as he tells us in Ephesians 4.26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. We're, we're told to put it away. To not hold on to it. To get rid of it. Um, this is one of those stories that starts with a disclaimer. Children, do not try this at home. Okay, so parents, you heard me say it. Kids, do not try this at home. But... We had this thing when I was a younger youth pastor. I only did this twice. But um, that we would soak a tennis ball in gasoline. And um, then you take it out and you light it. And it works to then pick it up and play catch with it. And it's really fun to do it in the dark. But um, the point is of it is you're safe as long as you don't hold on to it. It's kind of like playing the game hot potato. The parents are like, then why didn't you use a hot potato illustration? <laughs> but, you know, so you're fine as long as you're, you're tossing it back and forth and you grab it and, and toss it again. 
That's how anger is to be dealt with. We're not to hold on to it. Paul expects some, or God expects some things to get us angry. And the way that we're dealt to deal with it is to put it away, to, to, to not hold on to it. Ephesians 4.26 goes on. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. Now, when you're rock climbing, you look for a foothold. You, you're not supposed to pull yourself up with your arms. You're going to get tired really fast. But you're always steadying with your arms, and you are looking for a foothold. Because if, if you have a foothold, you can stay there for a while. And the idea, the picture that is being painted here is of our enemy climbing our life. And when we hold on to anger, we're giving him the opportunity to stay where he is. And you ever have that when a, when a certain issue comes back up and it just throws you right back into the anger that you felt the last time that it was dealt with? You need to know that that should be a signal to us. You know what's going on there? Satan has a foothold. He's right where he was before. And this time he's climbing a little higher. We're called to put it away. We're called to get rid of it. <clears throat> then he goes into wrath. Anger, wrath. Wrath is the releasing of anger on someone or something. Uh, there was a... a remember hearing a story about a, um, a young man working in a factory and, and he was getting frustrated with something going on and he finally just kind of took a wrench out and he started just beating on it and, um, and you know, just screaming at the thing and he's just like, oh. and, and he was a believer and he, he just really f- realized, I just, you know, really showed what was in my heart here. And he said to one of his coworkers, he said, you know what, I'm sorry. I don't know what that came from. That's, that's just not in me. And the guy responded, well, if it wasn't in you, it wouldn't have come out of you. And, and that's what wrath is in this example. It's releasing anger in an unhealthy way. What is the healthy way to deal with anger? Let me just say, to talk to God about it, to give it back to him. Usually we've talked to enough people that we're kind of talked out by the time we come to talk to God about it. But, but he gives us situation. He gives us experiences to further our relationship with him, to talk to him about it. So it moves on here to malice. Anger, wrath, malice. Malice is ill will towards someone. You know, the difference between first degree murder and second degree murder is first degree murder is killing someone with malice. It's like, I am so tired of this person, I'm going to plan out. So we can have that happen when someone has made us angry and then it's like when, when that person comes to mind, we feel, feel ill will toward that person. What Paul is explaining here is in this process of controlling our world, keeping control, it's like that person creeps in on my control, creeps in on how I want my life to be. And it should be a signal to us they were holding on to anger. We're trying to keep control. And then in this particular stronghold, Paul moves it to slander. Talking, talk that then injures that person. 
And it's interesting that he uses this because this is usually, you know, we usually rationalize, what does it really matter what you say about someone? It's not like I'm hitting them. You know, it's not like I'm getting up in their face. Okay, so it moves to slander. And then he moves on. Now, the ESV um, uses the word obscene talk from your mouth. I think the NIV might use filthy language. And see, we haven't, that's an idiom in English that for us automatically makes us think of swearing or cursing. I'd rather label this as abusive talk. Okay? Now, rather, when I say I'd rather, I mean I think a better interpretation of this is abusive talk. Let me, let me explain what I mean by that. We, we use the word cursing or swearing for bad words coming out of our mouth. And scripture talks plenty of places that we should only speak what is edifying, that we should, um, coarse jesting should not be a part. So God cares about the words that are coming out of our mouth, but I want you to see how in this passage, Paul is targeting control. But where, where does the idea of cursing or swearing come from in the first place? It's to control. You know, Micaiah asked me one time, um, she was just like, what does the word damn mean? Okay, and I said, well, that's a good question because scripture talks about someone being damned. It's, to, it's being cursed. It's being condemned. It's saying, may this go to hell. But I didn't explain that necessarily, but it, you know, it's being condemned. Okay, condemned to to punishment or something like that. And it was kind of funny because the next time uh, Micaiah was told to go get ready for bed, I think she was kind of waiting for this. She stands up, she goes, oh, I'm being damned to my room. <laughs> <laughs> but, but when someone damns something, when they curse it, they're, they're trying to exercise control over it. When they swear about something. They're trying to, to exercise control over that conversation in order to kind of put an extra emphasis on it. Some of you live with or work with cursing people. And you understand what's going on here is I'm trying to be, this person is trying to control me with their words. Or they control people around them with their words. Do you see how this flows out of an anger, a, a wrath, a malice, it's building on this stronghold of trying to control our world. And that is not based on our foundation of who we are in Christ. Um, I, I believe actually that when Paul says, do not lie to one another, he is showing a specific example of someone using their mouth to try to control their world, to try to control the truth. Isn't that what happens a lot of times when, we, when we're um, backed into a corner, we then try to start controlling the issue. The next step is to start lying about it. And so that's why I believe Paul ventures into do not lie to one another. It's not just some command out there in the middle of nowhere. And, and the real harm in this situation is we're trying to control our world. This is not the foundation 
we were meant to live on. This is not living out of who we are in Christ. Now, this might be capped off with something else. It might be capped off with being um, manipulative, using our, our words to manipulate a person or a situation. It could be fear, could be capped off with withdrawal from other people. Okay, so this is just one example of the stronghold of control. And the stronghold of control is just one example of what it looks like to not live on our foundation of who we are in Christ. But really, we'll see, to live in the, on the foundation of idolatry. You know, we who homeschool, we could homeschool out of fear. We could homeschool out of anger. You know, and we need to make sure that what we do is done out of who we are in Christ. Not out of a need to control our world. So a stronghold of control isn't as bad as a stronghold of flesh, right? Because if you remember, the stronghold of the flesh is based on covetousness. And Paul says, well, that in covetousness, that's idolatry. Well, this is what James 4 has to say about it. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And we learned from our passage last week, so, so what James is saying here is that our arguments are really out of coveting our life. I want that for my life and you're not giving it to me. I want you to be this and you're not providing and so our anger boils out of coveting, just like what Paul said, our strongholds of the flesh comes out of coveting. So really, this stronghold of anger is based in coveting also, which is idolatry. And it's not that coveting is some special sin of idolatry, but really, whenever we're living to please ourselves, we're living off the foundation of idolatry. We're not living in the land of who we are in Christ. So really both of these strongholds come out of living in idolatry rather than living on the foundation of who we are in Christ. It's kind of interesting because I think you could almost classify both of these as um, how you deal with temptation. It's an example of how you deal with temptation. And this could be how you deal with trial in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. When we go through trials, we can respond with anger and we can start to build a stronghold of control. When we come into temptation, we could respond with living to satisfy, living for f- pleasure, living to satisfy our flesh and we can build a stronghold of the flesh. Uh, a quote from Tim Keller um, that a friend gave to me recently says, sin isn't only doing bad things, it is more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Meaning, making good things what we build our life on. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even on ver- a very good thing, more than God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry, he says. So how do we take care of this stained laundry of this sinful heart that we can have? How do we stop from living on the foundation of idolatry when it comes to losing control 
and giving up control? And how do we move over and start living on, again, on the foundation of who we are in Christ? So we're looking at repenting from the sins of control. So we've all dealt with, with clothes that are just overly soiled. It's like this is the last project. They're going on the burn pile or they're going in the garbage. And Paul says emphatically, you now, but now you must also put away. So he's dealt with sins of pleasure and he's dealing with sins of control now. And when he says put it away, the idea there is take it off and get rid of it. Take it off and get rid of it. And that's why we're, we're looking at this like with stained laundry. Notice how our condition is described. Okay? Again, it's living off. We're called to live off of our new foundation of who we are in Christ. He says, now you must put them all away. And he lifts off anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. He's showing how this stronghold builds up. Do not lie to one another. And what's the basis of approaching it? What's the basis of attacking it? You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You have a new foundation. This is who you are in Christ. You've taken that clothing off. You've put on new clothing. That soiled, those soiled rags are sitting there. He's saying, put them away. It would be crazy to go and start putting them back on over our new clothing. But that's the temptation that we face. He's saying, put it away. Throw it out. Don't live your life on that old foundation of idolatry. And he describes this new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So remember, our basis of dealing with our fleshly longings is that we have died with Christ and we are hidden with him in God. So our basis for freedom from the stronghold of control is also our participation in the work of Christ. You have put it off and you have put on a new righteousness. You have put on a new purpose. You have laid a new foundation. Now live on it. Our ability to keep off of us the grimy clothes of who we are without Christ is because of our new nature that has been imparted to us. We're something new in Christ. Oh, look what I did. <laughs> Jay, can you move that back? <laughs> That's what happens when you don't know which button you're pressing there. There, you know what? I'll just fly ahead here. Boom, 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 boom. Building, building, building. Do not look behind the green curtain. 23 there. Thanks. I'll go one more. So we have a new self like having new clothes. The argument is don't make plans to put on those grimy clothes again. He's saying, look and look here who it is that our new self is patterned after. These are great verses having to do with this. Galatians 3.27. For as many as you who were baptized into Christ, in other words, you died with Christ and you were raised again to new life. For as many as you who were baptized into Christ have put on 
Christ. What a picture of who we are in Christ. We have put on Christ. Romans 13 adds to this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So who we, our daily walk now is living on that new foundation. We've both put on Christ and we're called to continue to build on to that, to continue to put on Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So in other words, don't go back to that land of idolatry, but we do. Let me say that. But we do. And more of what we're being told here is, how do we deal with it? How do we get away from that and get back to building our life on that new foundation? Repentance is realizing, I have been made into something new. I have been given a completely new foundation to live off of. Repentance is claiming the fact that I don't belong here. I don't belong in the land of idolatry. Dealing with life where, like a vending machine, I'm going to take from what God has given me to serve him with, and I'm going to put it into the vending machine of life to get what I think I need. I need control. So I'm going to take my words and I'm going to just blast them like a machine gun. Lay down whoever it is that's getting in my way because I need control. No, our words have been given to us to offer to God as a sacrifice of worship. But we don't treat them that way when we're living in the land of idolatry. Instead, we treat them as a tool for us to use to control our world with. Repentance is moving back onto our new foundation. If you remember Romans 12, 1 through 2, describes repentance for us. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the new foundation that you're living on, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by, testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We don't do that. We don't look for what's good and acceptable and perfect for the Lord when we're living in the land of idolatry, using what we have to get what we need. You might remember just looking at this again, the, the picture of repentance Repentance is realizing I don't belong here treating what I have like coins in my pocket and feeding them to the vending machine of idolatry in order to get what I think that it is that I need. My life is meant to be an offering of worship to God. It's to take our desires to God and saying, Lord, I'm doing this or I'm wanting to do this because I want it more than you. And this is not how life is meant to be. Will you change my heart? Will you take me off the throne, Lord, and be on the throne of my heart again? And I want to take my life and I want to offer it up to you as worship. You see, we offer him our praise with our lips because of what we know about him 
and we respond with praise. And the fact is, is that our life is meant to be lived that way. And as we learn of him, as we're exposed to who he is, we look at, at an experience um, like the loss of work or, or like something that he brings in her life, even like a blessing. And we look at that and we say, Lord, this is meant to worship you with. And that's worshiping him with our lives. A temptation, a desire, a, a God-given longing that he's given us. And to say, Lord, I, I offer this up to you. This unmet longing. It may never be met. But Lord, I offer it up to you in worship and in praise. That's life worship. Responding to what we know about him in a way that honors him. Sacrificing it to him. Not to get something from it. I received um, a message from a student from Rapid City just this past week. And, And, you know, as a youth pastor, I'm used to sitting down over coffee with students and kind of talking to them about things of the Lord. And, you know, maybe they've grown up in church and it's just kind of like, and I can hear them kind of picking through it. I can see them picking through it in their mind and thinking, well, yeah, that, you know, that's kind of cool. I think I like that. Okay. Uh, you know, that, that cramps my style. I don't think so. You know, and, and they're filing through it in their mind according to, what do I want out of this? But I can, a week later, sit down with that same student and for them to be like, the eyes are open. God has, has taken their new independence, their new privileges, their new mobility, their new life, and you can tell he has brought them to a place where they lay it on his altar. And all of a sudden, life is different. And they're looking at this is all meant for him. I've received a message from one of those students that's like, every time we get together, it's just like, it's just not registering. I can totally tell where he's at in his development of his faith. And he messaged me and he said, man, I just got to tell you, I was in youth group uh, in November and it's like the Lord said, I want you. You are meant to live for me. And over the process of a couple weeks, he's just like, I'm just on fire. And I just laid myself out before the Lord. And I don't look at it as like, hey, look at me. It's like, man, show me another part of my life that I can just lay on his altar because I'm meant to live for him. And, you know, just challenging him. You know, you have had a Romans 12, 1 moment. And, and you have a new anchor point in your life. And, and I see that, as a youth pastor, I saw that again and again and again. And I don't, mean any, I don't want anybody to be like, I'm not having coffee with JD, you know? <laughs> but it's, I can tell. And it, it's not to make anybody, it's, it's the grace of God working in our hearts. And I pray that for your sake, you know? But, but this is what it looks like. But this is also what we have to come back to again and again and again. Repentance is not a one-time thing. You know, we, we're doing this, I, I find myself doing this on a daily basis. This is why David prayed, search my heart, Lord. 
because he wants to lay it out on God's altar, anything. So Paul goes into describing a little more of just how it is that we live on this new foundation. He describes this new self that we've been given and what, how it's meant to play out. The new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So point C here is living in our new clothes. What does this look like to live in our new clothes? Understand here, we've not only been created in the image of God, what he's describing here is the new self, which then is recreated after the image of Christ. So we're made in our, in our connection with Adam, we're made in the image of God, and that image is marred, but then we have the awesome opportunity of when we identify with Christ as our Savior, he says, you've put off the old self, you've put on the new self, and this new self is now remade after the image of Christ, its creator, the new, of the creator of our new self. So understand that we're not just called to put on Christ as our foundation. We're called to build on that foundation of being renewed after the image of Christ. We're called to look more like Christ. That's what Romans thirteen fourteen was saying. Put on Christ. Continually put on Christ then. The next week we're going to be looking at, so what does that look like? Notice he says now, but you now must put them all away. And then next week, put on then. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This looks a lot different than trying to control your world, doesn't it? Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. This is what our relationships are meant to look like in the body of Christ. When we are putting on, or or when we're allowing our new self to be renewed after the image of Christ. This is what our relationships are meant to look like. And then in the following weeks, we'll look at what are our relationships in the home meant to look like. Paul goes into. So he says, he describes the new self. It's being renewed after the image of his creator. Let me give you a little um, insight. And and anybody who's who's done some diet knows this. Diets don't work with us if we find ourselves wanting what we cannot have. They just don't. You know, it's like, ah, oh, man, this is great. I've lost 10 pounds. All I'm eating is grapefruit. At some point, you don't want grapefruit. You want what you cannot have. Right? Talk to anybody that is, has successfully changed their eating habits and they'll say, I love my new food. I love my new life. I love my, my focus on life. It's not focused on food anymore. They'll, they have replaced what they previously loved with something that they love more than that. And that is how we work. That's how we work. This is because we, tra- we change by replacing what we love. You cannot re- remove sin without replacing it. Nature hates a vacuum. And that is the same in our hearts. We cannot remove sin without replacing it. So this idea of put off and put on, put it off and put on. If you don't find what it is that replaces 
that desire for control or that, that desire for pleasure at any cost, if you don't find what will replace that, you will not stay away from it. And so I just want you to see this principle here. Um, you cannot keep from putting sin back on unless you love what you've replaced it with. So putting off and putting on has to be a constant lifestyle with us. It's a lifestyle of repentance. Christ changes us into who we truly are. He changes us by allowing us to treasure what he treasures. We start to treasure him We start to treasure worshiping him more than keeping control of our lives. We start to treasure making more of him more than having what it is that our flesh desires. And I want you to notice how this is done. It's through the renewal of the mind as he puts it there. The new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The sister letter to Colossians which is Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, it describes it this way. Paul's describing how it is that we are called to grow. He says, we're called to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I just want you to catch the principle here that is throughout scripture that we change through repentance by the renewal of our minds of realizing what I'm desiring here is nothing compared to what I can desire here in serving Christ. If we don't replace that desire for control or that desire for pleasure with desiring Christ more, we will not stay over here. That's the principle here that runs throughout scripture. Even in the, the, that repentance passage that we looked at, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Notice, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's, the, that's a more elaborate picture of that presenting ourselves to God as a as worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. By the renewal of your minds. So we don't need to go back to this picture. So living in our new clothes um, involves renewal of what we're believing. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as I'm, as I'm just concluding here. The fact is this. I cannot talk anyone out of a stronghold of control or out of a stronghold of pleasure. I, no one can talk someone out of that. It has to be a renewal of what is desired. And I will tell you this. Exposure to God's word just on Sunday mornings is not enough to renew your mind. Because constantly, every day, you have the call of pleasure. You have the call of control beckoning you. And it's the way that it works, the way that it works is to conform you to the world.
The way that God works is to transform you by the renewal of your mind. And it's a daily process of looking at, Lord, what am I fixated on? And if I'm not fixated on you, Lord, show me the way back. What is it that I'm desiring more than desiring you? If, if you're not bringing yourself before God's word on a regular basis, you will live in the land of idolatry. You will not be building your life on the new foundation of who you are in Christ. That is the simple truth. It must be through the renewal of your mind. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we lay ourselves out before you. Lord, you're worthy of our lives. You're, but it's just not just a matter of that you deserve it, although that is, that is huge. Lord, that's where we long to be deep down. That's where we need to be. Lord, somehow we convince ourselves that we will be the one person in all of history that will be satisfied with sin. That we will be able to control our world to a place that will finally satisfy us. But the fact is, is that it's a lie. And we're meant to worship you. Lord, move in our hearts. Move in our hearts, Lord, to lay ourselves out before you. Lord, we thank you for your truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand with us, please? Can wash